Thank you for being here. I've been anticipating our time together. And we're uh, going to be looking at Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, but specifically chapter 5, verse 30, uh, verse 43. So Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 forms the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, for uh, numbers of years here, we have been walking through uh, chapter 5. And so those who were part of that study, bear with us, <clears throat> because I want to try to catch us all up to date. Uh, because the premise of the Sermon on the Mount is absolutely essential. If you don't get the premise, every, nothing makes sense. The only thing that is the, uh, is the clear vision of the Sermon on the Mount is through the vision of this premise. You have to get the premise. So if you don't understand the premise, we're in trouble. So we're just going to keep going over the premise uh, and reminding you of that uh, for that determines how you see and view and apply to your life all that's going on in the Sermon on the Mount. And the premise he gives to us at the very beginning. In fact, if you go to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, which is chapter 7, verse 38, I think it is, in verse 38, or 28, uh, in chapter 7, verse 28, he gives you the response of the crowd, which tells you something about how people viewed what he had to say. And when you come to chapter 7, verse 28, it says, So when Jesus had ended these sayings, that the people were astonished at his teaching. Uh, the word astonished is really astonishing in the fact that it literally means knocked out of your senses. So can you see this crowd? They're listening to Jesus and they're just, their mouth is open, their eyes are bugged out, their, their chin is on their chest, they're just going, whoa! And it literally has the indication that there was such an emotional, it was so radical what Jesus was saying, that they had some kind of emotional response that literally, literally kind of dulled their thinking. They could, whoa, I can't even get a hold of this. That's how that crowd reacted to this. Why was it so radical? What was so off the wall? Why was, what was, what was going on here? Well, you realize that every world system, every world religion is based upon one single factor. And that is, here's where I want to go and here's where I am. Now, I don't know what this is for you. If this is heaven, fine. If this is purity, fine. If this is victory in your life, fine. If this is knowing God, fine. If this is happiness, whatever, whatever this is, don't care. If this is success in business, fine. See, it's all the same wherever, wherever you go. Here's where I want to go. Here's where I am. Well, how am I going to get there? Well, work on it. Come on, discipline yourself. Good night, get your act together. Well, shape up. Well, get out of bed. Well, quit sucking your thumb. Come on, shape up. Get with the program and work your way up. Your boss will yell at you, come on, work harder. Develop the skills, go to school. Educate yourself, sharpen your skills. Well, that's how you get here. Every world all over you, all the time, television, your job, religion, everything's based on that. Work on it. All world religions, guys, are based on that factor. Now, I love that factor. I love that idea. Because by this time in my life, I'm about right here. 
Now I'm, I'm not where I'm going, but hey, I'm not where I was either. And you know what that gives me the ability to do? To judge others. See, I can look on my nose at you and say, And we compare ourselves to ourselves. And you can always find somebody worse than you are. See, we love that system. Jesus came along and said, listen, what everybody else makes you earn, what everybody else makes you merit, I'm going to give to you. And he starts out, first word in the, in the whole, whole Sermon on the Mount is, Blessed, which is congratulations. It's a whack on the back. It's, hey, congratulations, you're in. Congratulations, you've made it. Congratulations, oh, you're there. Congratulations, hey, what everybody else makes you, I'm going to hand to you. That's his whole premise. And it literally shook their world because they had never, ever, I mean, who ever says anything like that? Nobody. Well, how on earth is he going to give it to me? Oh, that's easy. He says, you're going to start out down here where you are. Where are you? Poor in spirit. That's the first beatitude. Poor in spirit. Which the word poor is the strongest Greek word we have for poverty. It means absolutely nothing. It means not, hey, I only got one penny. Then you're not poor. Not this word. You're poor, but not this word. This word is nothing. So here's absolutely nothing, he says. We're going to start there. And here's what you're going to do. You're going to embrace that. You're going to admit that. You're going to say, oh, that's true. You're going to look. Hey, we're going to slit you down the middle. We're going to go to the core of your life. And what are we going to find there? Absolutely no resource at all. You cannot pull this off. You cannot be what you ought to be. You cannot get this done. You are absolutely helpless to to make it. If you will embrace that. Well, how am I to embrace that? You're to embrace that like second beatitude. Mourning. You're to embrace that like grief. You're to, and grief embraces you. You're, you're to embrace that like, oh, it just overwhelms you. You are to be overwhelmed with your helpless. Don't get cocky. Don't act like, hey, I can handle it. You cannot live in that all the time. Constantly, all the time. Live within the boundaries of your help. Don't ever step out of that. Live in a constant awareness of helplessness. Don't strut your stuff. You've got no stuff to strut. Live in your helplessness. If you will live in your helplessness, guess what? You'll be comforted. You know what the word for comfort is? Paraclete. It's the word for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will literally come and envelop your helplessness. So God in all of his greatness, which is what you want, is literally going to envelop, merge, fuse with your helplessness. And in that fusion, you and him will become this new thing. This is not you improving. This is not you reforming. This is not you getting better. 
This is you as you are in your helplessness. And he comes and his nature and your nature literally merge together. And in the merger of you and him, you become this new species, this new creature, this thing that you cannot be on your own. And he's decided not to be on his own. But together, you become this brand new thing. That's his premise. Do you mean I become God? We've never suggested that. We're not even indicating that. No, you're not going to be God. You never, hey, no, because you're always going to be helpless. See, you're not helpless because you've sinned. You're helpless because he created you that way. You're supposed to be that way. That's what he intended in the beginning. You weren't meant to operate on your own. And when you operate out of yourself, you're operating out of helplessness, which always ends up in a mess. So here I am in my helplessness. I embrace my helplessness. He comes in his amazing resource and the amazingness of his nature and his nature and my nature, his mind and my mind, his heart and my heart, his will and my will, his desires and my desires. They come together and I begin to feel like he feels and think like he thinks and how am I doing this? And it's not because I... It's because I admitted my helplessness and I live in that Now, all the rest of the Beatitudes, that's the first two Beatitudes, all the rest of the Beatitudes spill out of that. Who's the guy that's merciful? Well, it's not the guy that's cocky. It's got it all together. Who's the guy that's merciful? The guy that knows he's helpless, but is filled with resources way beyond himself. Who can afford to be merciful? I could afford to give mercy to everybody. Why? Because I have received so much mercy. I could give all the mercy I have away and still I wouldn't be done. There's so much mercy coming my way. See, who's the guy that has peace? This is the guy that has peace, who hasn't got any standard to measure up to, who isn't striving, get out of my way, who isn't guarding, protecting. Who's the guy that's got peace? Who's the guy? It's the guy that's relaxed. It's the guy that's helpless, who knows the resource of... See, who's the guy that sees God? Well, obviously the guy who's merged. See, who's the... Who who can rejoice in persecution? Obviously the guy who knows there's something bigger going on here than just, hey, you don't like me. Now, how would this function on the street? And he takes you to verse 13 through 16 and says, let me use imagery. Salt and light. Salt and light. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Why does he use salt and light? It's being language. See, you can't do salt. Salt doesn't, hey, I'm really working hard to do salt. You don't do salt, you either are or you aren't. See, you don't do light, you either are or you aren't. So this is a being thing. So it doesn't have anything to do with your activity. It has everything to do with the state of merger in relationship with him, where you and him have literally come together in the merger. 
Now that doesn't mean there is an activity. That doesn't mean that there aren't. In fact, if you go down to verse, uh, verse 16, the last verse of this section, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. So there are good works. Yeah, sure there are. So this is not laziness. This is not lean back, let him do it all. This is, oh, I'm totally involved, but I'm not doing anything while I'm involved. See, it's the hand and glove thing. You know, it's the glove who does nothing and yet the hand is jammed inside the glove and the glove is doing everything. No, it doesn't do anything. Well, the glove is involved in everything. Yeah, the glove is active. That's right. The glove is moving. That's true, but it isn't doing anything. Yet it's doing everything and yet it's involved in everything and yet it does nothing. <laughs> Woo! Do you realize how that would take the pressure off of you? <sighs> Oh, I got to perform. No, you don't. I got to get it done. No, you don't. Would you, would you just, you're helpless. Would you just. Now, as he looked at his crowd, which brings us where we want to be today. As he looked at his crowd, they looked about like you. Uh, you see, Jesus was, this was so radical. You got to get this. This was so radical, so off the wall. They never heard anything like it. And on top of that, they had experienced some of Jesus' antics. See, they had 613 oral traditions, all based on the scriptures, bless God, all based on the scriptures. They had a lot of Sabbath day stuff. They had a lot of defilement laws. They had all these rules and all these laws. And hey, you know what Jesus did? He went around breaking them all. <laughs> you know how irritated that was to a Pharisee? I'm trying to teach the people to be right. Here comes Jesus, this Messiah, this, this, this rabbi guy with all this big crowd. And he said, Pfft. he broke their Sabbath day law right and left. Healed withered hands on the Sabbath day. You can't do that. Let his disciples pick grain and eat on this. You can't do that. They got so irritated. That's why they crucified him. Because he kept breaking these 613. Based on the scriptures. Based on the scriptures. And then he comes and gives this message. Which is so radical. That they'd never heard anything like it. So in their mind. Think about this. In their mind they thought. Whoa. He's dumping the Bible. He's, he's starting a new deal. He's, he's pushing aside all that we've ever been taught in our lives and saying, hey, it's garbage. Come and follow me. I'm going to do a new thing. And he's literally drawing a line through the scriptures and eliminating the scriptures. So he sees that in their face. So you know what he does? Look at verse 17. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. Law and the prophets is the scriptures. Do not think I came to destroy the scriptures. I did not come to destroy. Said it twice. Don't think I came to destroy. I'm telling you I did not come to destroy the scriptures. I didn't come to destroy the scriptures. So I'm not starting a new deal. I'm not taking the Old Testament and throwing it out the door. What I want to do is 
See, here's the Old Testament. Here are the, here's the scriptures. And here's your, here's your rules that you made up. I want to take you past your rules. I want to go over the top of your rules, over the top of your traditions, over the top of all the stuff you've been taught, over the top. I want to take you back to the scriptures. And show you what they really meant. Show you what's really going on. Show you what truth is. I want you to get a hold of that. He says. So I didn't come to destroy the scriptures. I came to fulfill it. Now, we've discussed the idea of fulfill. What's fulfill? Well, when I was four years old, learned the ABCs. Learning the ABCs. Sang the ABC song. Okay, got that down. My mom was so proud. <laughs> now, I'm done with that. I don't, I'm not into ABCs. I can hardly, I don't, I probably could say them. I'd have to think about it. In fact, if you ask me where's P in the alphabet, I have to go through it in my mind to think. See, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not into, I don't care about ABCs, not interested in ABCs. I don't, I don't deal with ABCs. I don't want ABCs, ABCs. I don't know why I learned them. That's not true. I deal with ABCs all the time. In fact, standing here reading this thing, I read ABCs. I sit down at a computer, my fingers go, and I don't even think about ABCs, but it's all, ABCs has come to a new level. See, one was a four-year-old level, ABC saying the ABC song. The other, it's been fulfilled in its purpose in my life, which is what? Reading. Now, you've been involved in a four-year-old level. What have I come to do? Oh, grab a hold of you and pull you. To a whole new level. So I'm not doing away with them. Not doing away with the scriptures. But it's going to go to a new level. What's the new level going to be like? Oh. He is the demonstration of the new level. Let me try to explain this to you. God said, I am a holy God. And we looked at him and said, wow. Okay. I'm a holy God. Okay. I told you I'm a holy God. Okay. We're happy for you. But we have no idea what that means. What does that mean? I don't know what it means. What's it mean to be a holy God? I don't know. God said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to write it down. In a book. And if I were a man... Here's what I would do. And he gave us the Old Testament, which, folks, is the written nature of God in a book. This is not an instruction manual for life. <laughs> this is rules for living. <laughs> this is the nature of God written down. Think about it. The nature of God written down. The nature of God in writing. Oh, this is not literature. This is not history. 
This is not, oh, I like those Old Testament stories. Oh, I really like Solomon, Book of Solomon. Whoa. That was a joke, people. Come on, loosen up. Wow. That's not what this is. This is the nature of God. This is the heart of God exposed. This is the thinking of the divine. This is the way he operates, the way he thinks. Written down. Then along came Jesus. Now, you've got it figured out, haven't you? That Jesus is God. Second member of the Trinity. No question. Jesus is God. But... The great sacrifice was he gave up every advantage he had as God to become a helpless man. <laughs> what are you going to do? How, how are you going to? I mean, here's a babe in a manger. This is God. Pfft. Can't change his own diaper. Can't feed himself. How does he escape into Egypt? When Herod's trying to kill him. Well, somebody had to do it for him. Why? He's helpless. <laughs> Come on. So God became a helpless man. Well, how'd he live so righteous? How'd he do miracles? He didn't do anything until he was filled with the Spirit. And at the age of 30... It was like somebody flipped a switch, like the guy went crazy. Like, I mean, he's doing miracles all over the place, and he's got ministry. How'd all that happen? Well, see, the Father, through the Spirit, filled the man called Jesus. And Jesus didn't do what he did because he was God, although he is God. But that's not how he did what he did. You know how he did what he did? He was filled with God. He was a helpless man who embraced his helplessness and merged. And then he turned to this crowd and said, I am the first one. And congratulations, you're going to get it too. What I've got, you're going to get. What I am, you're going to become. The way I'm living, you're going to begin to live. The resource I have, you're going to have it. The same spirit of God that lives in me is going to live in you. Woo. The same nature of God that has filled me and produced my life, Jesus said, is going to come and fill you and reproduce my life in you and you're going to be Christ-like. Not because you put on sandals and had long hair. Not because you wore a robe. You're going to be like me. Why? You're going to think like I think. Why? Because I think like the Father thinks and he filled me. Now I'm going to fill you and you're going to think like I think. And as I merge with the Father, you're going to merge with me. And Oh, it's going to be great because your nature and my nature. Woo! It's going to produce this new thing, this new person, this new creature. And you're going to live in your helplessness filled with my resource. And that's the way I'm filled with the nature of God, Jesus said. Now, wait a minute. I thought the nature of God was written down. Oh, it is. Now you're saying Jesus was filled with the nature of God. Yeah. So, there's the written nature of God. And there's the living nature of God. The living nature of God has come to live within me. The written nature of God is without me. Meaning, external. The written nature of God is external. I can see it. The inner nature of God is whoo. 
So get this. Here's Jesus. He's got the written nature of God, the book. And he's got the inner nature of God. Oh, the very presence of the Father. And with the inner nature of God, you know what he does? He steps into the written nature of God and says, shape me. It wasn't just he had tickles up and down his spine. He said, oh, I feel the Father. It wasn't that. It was way beyond that. He allowed the scriptures to shape his life. He based his whole life on the scriptures. The scriptures. The scriptures. We on track? So here's the written nature of God. Here's the inner nature of God. Jesus stepped into the written nature of God and said, Hey, I'm going to listen to you. Because the written nature of God, the scriptures, was the whispering of the divine voice. The Father talked to Jesus. That's right. How did he talk to him? Scripture. 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 When he was in the middle of overwhelming temptation, 40 days, 40 nights, wilderness temptation, when the devil came to him and said, turn bread, turn stone into bread, what did he do? Ran to the scriptures. Father, you got to talk to me. You got to talk to me. I don't know what to do. My body's going crazy. I haven't eaten for 40 days. I'm starved to death. What's wrong with turning stone into bread? Not anything. What's wrong with eating? Not anything. Well, how do I know? Is there a trick in this? How am I going to know? You got to talk to me. And God talked to him. How? Scriptures. Scriptures. I'm trying to drive this into your brain. Can you get the hold of the fact that Jesus wants to merge with you, inwardly merge with you, your helplessness, his overwhelming resource, and he's going to speak to you through the scriptures. And the scriptures is going to be the Jesus. When you read the scriptures, it's like his lips are parting. This is pillow talk at night with him. This is cuddling up into his arms and having him whisper in your ear truth for your life. Scriptures. 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 Will you... Let him fill with you, fill you. Do you, you got to have both of these. Come on, you got to have both of these. Will you let Jesus fill you? Well, no, I'm just going to get into the scriptures. <laughs> then you're just going to be some legalistic snob who reads stuff and so. And you aren't going to know the mind of Christ. Why? Because you don't have him. And this isn't pillow talk for you. This is a law book. Well, I'm not going to get into the scriptures. I just want the presence of Jesus. Oh, I just love his presence. Well, then, hey, you're, you're, you're going to make yourself, you're going to make stuff up. Yep. See, you're going to, oh, you know, I feel like God wants me to buy that new car. 
God spoke to me and said, hey, God told me you should give me $500,000. When are you going to do it? <laughs> See, I can make all kinds of things up. You know? Well, how do I know what I feel is true? Oh, because it's verified by the scriptures. So it isn't just inside. Oh, it is. It isn't just outside. Oh, it is. It's the inside and the outside coming together because I have the written nature of God and the living nature of God literally coming together in my life producing this. Oh, you got to have that, man. Now, that brings us to our verse, which is verse 43. It's the last illustration. And look at this thing. He says, you, this is chapter 5, verse 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, all of these illustrations, you remember, there's six of them. All these illustrations of this intimacy and how it plays out in your life is contrasting between what they thought in their 613 oral traditions, what they, what they went through there, what they thought in the old, and this new intimacy. He contrasts the two. And what's the old say? The old says, you have heard it said, verse 43, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Woo! Praise God. But... I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Old, new. Now let's go back to the old. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Where did they get that? Where did they get that? Do you realize it never says any place in the scriptures that you should hate your enemy? Now you understand, these are people who read the Bible. This is a crowd when you were a Jew. By the time you were 12, you'd memorize the first five books of the Old Testament. And in Jesus' day, the standard procedure, the standard truth, what was taught in the Sunday school class, what everybody agreed to, the Bible says, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. Where did they get that? Well, if you go to the Bible scholars, you, they will tell you it comes from Leviticus 19, 18. Let me quote it to you. You shall not take vengeance, nor bear any grudge. Did you get it? You shall not take vengeance, and you shall not bear a grudge. Against the children of your people. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
I am the Lord. That's where they got it from. Let me read it to you again. Listen. You shall not take vengeance. Nor bear any grudge against the children of your people. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now, that was in Leviticus 19.18. Now we're clear down to the day of Jesus. And what did they get out of that? Love your neighbor. Hate your enemy. Now, first of all, note that they admitted as yourself. See, they admitted that. Love your neighbor. Well, Leviticus 19.18 says, as yourself. They eliminated that. Why? Because I don't want that. (laughs) I don't want that. So they just said, love your neighbor. And I'm not going to put a standard on it that I have to love him like I love myself because I don't want to do that because I'm much better than he is. So I just love your neighbor. So they admitted. Well, maybe they didn't know. Well, that isn't true. Because do you know that every single Sabbath day when they got together for their Sun Sabbath morning service, they started the service with the quotation of a Deuteronomy passage. And you know what that passage is? It's, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. (laughs) So they quoted it every Sunday morning. It's like John 3.16 to them. And it always has as yourself, but when it came down to my life and how I'm actually going to operate is love your neighbor, hate your enemy. Where did they get that? They didn't read the scripture. Oh, they read the scripture, but they misread it. Now, Let me go back to Leviticus 19.18. Listen to this again. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Where did they get and hate your enemy in that? (laughs) It isn't there. In fact, the very intent of the passage in Leviticus is the opposite. Don't take vengeance. That'd be kind of like loving your, neighbor, loving your enemy, wouldn't it? Don't take vengeance. Don't hold a grudge. Well, that would be kind of like, see, the intent of the passage was the opposite that they came up with. But what they came up with is, love your neighbor, left out as yourself, and then they added to it, hate your enemy. Why did they do that? They misread the scriptures. 
Come on, guys. Uh, turn on the radio. Listen to all the stuff. Hear all the quotes. Well, it says someplace in the Bible. Don't know where, but it says someplace. Watch the movies. An eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. The Bible says so. Amen. Bless God. <laughs> oh, forevermore. So whatever you want the scriptures to say, help yourself. <laughs> and what do I want it to say? Love my neighbor. People that love me and are good to me and I like a lot. Hey, I'm going to love them. You, I hate your guts, so you're my enemy. Bible says so. Because, how, how did that come about? Because I didn't have the nature of God within me. And I, what, I didn't get into the written nature of God. I didn't step into it and say, oh, this didn't become pillow talk. This didn't become reality in my life. This didn't become I'm searching for truth. This didn't become I'm going to bend my whole life under the authority of this word. And whatever you say, not just a bunch of rules. The heart of God and what you want for me and what's best for me. Because I want to be. In fact, that's where this is going. He says the reason you should do this is that you might be a son of your father in heaven. So that, who's a son? Oh, I have my dad's. My dad gave me these. My dad gave me this. Thank you, dad. I walk like my dad. Can't help it. It's my DNA. Wouldn't it be something to merge with God? To have God, my helplessness, his overwhelming nature, and I literally merge with him until I literally become a demonstration of, whoa, I look like him. Can't help myself. Yeah, I got his nose. Wow. Did you know God has blue eyes? Because I got them. His nature and my nature and where? And that would allow the scriptures, because I'm bending my life under the scripture. This is the whispering of his truth to my life. And hey, I'm not trying to weasel around and just get what I want. What am I trying to do? I'm trying to, oh, I want the reality of your truth in my life. Well, how do I know the reality of truth in my life? The scriptures. Well, I read the Bible. I don't understand it. Oh, but what would happen if you had his nature? What would happen if he was whispering it to you? What would happen if he was revealing himself to you? What was happening if you would bend yourself under the authority? Oh, in your helplessness, you would cry out and he would come in all of his resource and fill you. What would happen if he'd begin to speak who he is to you? I'll tell you, if that would take place, you wouldn't come up with love your neighbor, hate your enemy. They missed it. It's interesting in John chapter 5, Jesus is in this overwhelming debate with these people. 
they know the scriptures. They search the scriptures. They're the people who hold the scriptures dear. Yes, these Pharisees, they're into the scriptures. Yeah, they are. And you know what he says in verse 39 of John chapter 5? He says, you, Jesus is speaking to them. You search the scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life. And you do. Life is found in the scriptures. And you search the scriptures because you think you have eternal life in the scriptures. And these scriptures are they which testify of me. But you're not willing to come to me that you may have life. So you search the scriptures which constantly reveal me and you don't see me. Well, preacher, I'm reading the Bible. Chapter a day keeps the devil away. <laughs> Brother. <laughs> You know how sick that is. Come on. How am I going to find truth? I'm going to embrace my helplessness. He's going to come and it's overwhelming. Wow. Otherwise, I'll end up, love your neighbor. Hate your enemy. Says so in the Bible. Jesus, I don't know what to do with this because I don't want to I, I be wrong. I want truth regardless of what it does to my life. What it changes in me, hey, whatever. I want truth. And I don't know where to find truth. I turn the radio on. I listen to the TV. I go down to my job. I see the world system. There's all this stuff, God. People yelling at me every time I turn around. All saying they have the truth. Oh, Jesus, could you and I get together? Could you come? Could I find energy, resource, life? Could I find your nature in all of its fullness permeating my life, giving me victory, taking me into a new level of intimacy and oneness and new creature and could you begin to shape me with your word could your, could your scriptures come alive could I, could I find truth for my living like I oh. and you know every single one of us here this morning God oh in the name of Jesus I wouldn't even 
supposed to speak a message that would go to the heart of every single one of us. But God, could you go to every single one of us this morning? And you know the stuff we've heard, and you know the traditions we've been into, and you know what we've thought, and we know you know how we've justified, and you know how we've said, "Hey, love your neighbor, hate your enemy." You know how we have twisted that. We know you know how we have misread. We've added to. We've omitted. We've you know how we've done it, God. And a lot of it wasn't even our fault. It's what our world did to us. But in these moments this morning, could you, could we, could truth, who you are, truth, Heads around. Now, this is risky. This is absolutely risky. Because if you don't want life change, if you if you if you don't want if you if you want your life to stay like it is, then you don't. Hey, don't you budge. You you just hang tight. Just hang tight. We'll get out of here. So this is risky. Because if you get into this, it'll, it'll turn your life upside down. It'll, it'll disturb your living. It'll, it'll change the way you view things. It'll, wow, it'll just, it'll mess up what you are real bad. But the nature of God, the very person of God, the presence of God... Is wooing you today. He's pulling on the inner core of your life. He's, gone, he's going beyond rationalizations, excuses, comparing yourself with others. And he's wrapping his arm around you. Would you, would, you, would you let him, would you embrace your helplessness? Would you allow? Would you just jump into his arms? Would you just get together with him? And in that intimacy, would you say, oh, I'm, I'm going to let you shape me with your word. Jesus based his whole life, his destiny, everything he did on the scriptures. The scriptures shaped everything he did. Wouldn't it be something if your destiny is written in the scriptures and you've never seen it because you didn't have his nature? But if you had his nature, you could begin to see the track, the destiny, the procedure the purpose, where he's taking you, what he wants, where he's going in your life. And your whole life could be based on the scriptures. As his was. So this is risky. 
Maybe you just want to stay on your own track, fine. Live in your own misery, help yourself. But you could embrace your helplessness and allow him to come. Our altars open for that purpose. Not embarrassment. But seeking. Openness. The embracing of my helplessness. Are you man enough to do that? Would you let him come and do something in you today? I want to kneel again. Oh, I want him. Oh, I want him. Oh, Jesus, merge, merge, merge with me. I pray thee. Be obedient.